Welcome to Fran Talk, where we discuss all things franchising. Fran Talk is brought to you by Success Franchise Advisors. I'm your host, Mark Stevens. Let's get started. Welcome to Fran Talk. Mark Stevens here. So let's start out talking about the owner-operator model, since it is typically the most common in all of the franchise models. Uh, Like I said, an owner-operator, they basically own the business, they own the job. Um, I'll talk a little bit about the pros and cons, and I'll also give some examples. But one of the reasons why they tend to be some of the more common of the franchise models is, plain and simple, they tend to be amongst the more affordable, the lower end of the investment spectrum when it comes to franchising. And a lot of that's simply because, A, they involve very little staffing, which tends to mean that there's very little overhead in terms of storefront, restaurant, vehicle, what have you. Um, and obviously, fronting uh, a staff can be a fairly expensive expensive thing. So you basically, uh, you're in business for yourself, not in business by yourself, and uh, you work for yourself. You are your own boss, which is why a lot of people uh, pursue franchises. Now, uh, some of the biggest advantages to the owner-operator model is, again, you are your own boss. You, you work at your own pace, uh, which is hopefully, if you want to be successful, a pretty uh, driven pace. But still, you don't have somebody else breathing down your neck. Uh, they do tend to be amongst the more affordable models. When you see franchises that are available for you know a forty, fifty, seventy-five thousand dollar investment, more times than not, these are going to be owner-operator models. Once you get into fleets of vehicles, building out storefronts, uh, hiring managers, that's where your investment gets into the multiple six figures. Um, oftentimes owner-operator models can tend to be uh, home-based, which some people love being able to work out of a home-based environment. Others, not so much. But I'll give you some examples of some typical owner-operator models. Um, Chances are you may get a Valpac or a Money Mailer, the coupons and the envelopes in uh, in your mail once a month, once every six weeks. Those tend to be owner-operator models. Uh, If you look at a home inspection franchise, most of those models are owner-operator models. You own the home inspection franchise, but at least to start, you are the home inspector as well. Now, one of the greater downsides uh, to the owner-operator models is scalability. They say in business, when you're that one-person army and you wanna make more money, your choices are, hey, I can raise my rates or I can work more hours. Now, don't let that mislead you too much because any business, even if it starts as an owner-operator model, whether it's franchise or an independent business, can always scale up to bring on staff to eventually become where your company works for you more than you do for your company, which is obviously the ultimate goal of most every entrepreneur. Second type of business model is what we call the executive level model. Now, an executive level owner, like I said previously, yes, they do get up and go to work at their business pretty much every day like most of us. But rather than being directly involved in the delivery of the products and services that that business provides, they tend to be more back at the office working on the business while they have a staff that works in the business. One of the easiest examples to show you is something like a residential cleaning franchise, a Mary Maid's, a Molly Maid, a Maid Brigade. Um, 
I've worked with so many people over the years that have gotten in that business. And when I first start talking to them about the business, they say, Mark, are you kidding? Did you just ask me to go clean toilets for a living? Man, I have four years of college. I come out of a, you know, Fortune 500 company role, what have you. And any business owner, don't get me wrong, has to roll up their sleeves every now and again. But the Molly Mays, the May Brigades of the world, they're not looking for franchisees who are looking to go in and clean houses. They're looking for franchisees who are willing to work on the business and hire and manage a staff that works in the business. Uh, in this case, cleaning crews. The owner of a, a residential cleaning franchise spends the bulk of his or her time managing staff, managing marketing, managing customer service, but it's their staff that actually gets in the car each morning and goes out and cleans the businesses. Or, I'm sorry, not the businesses, the, the homes, although there are commercial cleaning companies as well. Um, another hot industry these days is something like the senior care industry, the in-home non-medical health care. There are medical uh, brands as well, but the non-medical is the most common. These also tend to be executive level models where the owners spend the bulk of their time focused on working on the business, the marketing, the managing, uh, vendors, relationships, what have you, while again, their staff are the one that goes into the homes of those with in-home special needs, uh, whether it be companionship, whether it be dementia care, what have you. But uh, there's another good example of an executive level model. Now, pros to the executive level model is they do tend to be more scalable. If I own a residential cleaning company and I bring on more and more cleaning clients, I'm not having to work more and more hours in the day to get these houses cleaned. I'm just having to hire another cleaning crew and yet another cleaning crew. So they can scale up nicely without me, the owner, having to work myself to death. Um, <clears throat> one of the downsides to the executive level model is, A, obviously you're managing a staff. When it comes to business ownership, there are few headaches bigger than managing a staff. Um, I've always said it, I don't care if they're minimum wage earners, I don't care if they're $100,000 a year earners, employees can and will tend to uh, find a way to keep you up at nights. Um, so that's something that being able to manage, lead, build teams is something that does kind of need to be in your DNA to be an, a successful executive level owner. Now, how big your staff is will vary, but obviously we're all hopeful that we will scale our businesses to a large scale so that we're making good money with them. Um, executive level models do tend to be slightly more expensive than uh, an owner-operator model and simply because you're fronting your staff. Um, <clears throat> if you have staff, it's unlikely that you're going to be running your business from home. So that does typically mean you're going to have an office space of some sort, a storefront of some sort, which again all adds to the overhead. And few businesses come out of the gate turning profits. So you will tend to go a slightly longer amount of time before the owners actually put money in their pocket with an executive level model. Um, so some, some straightforward uh, pros and cons there. Now, the final uh, uh, franchise model, and frankly, it's, it's the one that most of us as entrepreneurs tend to dream of, 
is the semi-absentee model. Um, <clears throat> semi-absentee means that you're not directly involved with the day-to-day -day operations of the business. Now, don't let me mislead you there. All business owners are involved in their businesses and certainly in the early phases of the business will be more involved than as the business matures. But the overall model of the semi-absentee I invest in the business. I invest in a good manager that runs the day-to-day -day operations, oversees the staff, et cetera. As the owner, I'm focused on weekly, monthly reports, key performance indicators. Uh, I'm managing the manager. So I'm a little bit more of a hands-off owner. Uh, these businesses, great example, McDonald's. Yes, McDonald's franchisees do go, do go work in their business from time to time, but it's rarely because they need a, a fry kick, a fry cook, and it's rarely because they need somebody to run the cash register. It's because they're in there keeping tabs on the operation, maybe training a manager, what have you, but they're not really involved in the day-to-day. -day. It's more of an investment. They put money to work more than they're putting themselves to work. Uh, <clears throat> Like I said before, obviously that's the ultimate goal is to have a business working for you more than uh, you work for it. Now, most semi-absentee franchise owners come out of one of two buckets. Either they are fairly successful uh, serial entrepreneurs that own multiple businesses. We all hear about or some of us know these franchisees that own you know, 20 Subways and 10 Taco Bells and two McDonald's. How on earth do they do that? And it's because they're a semi-absentee owner. Uh, they're managing managers at each of their locations. And in truth, as they scale that big, they're probably managing a regional manager who is well-paid to actually manage the managers. They're investors. Um, and most of them are doing quite well for themselves. But you don't have to be a multimillionaire to be a successful semi-absentee owner. Uh, another very, very common uh, bucket of semi-absentee owners are those that are still in corporate America. Um, they're not necessarily burned out on corporate America. They're not necessarily hating their job and desperate to fire their boss, which is an overused cliche in the franchise world. But they are looking to secure that financial future, maybe diversify their income a little bit. And while they stay employed at their full-time uh, position, they will become a semi-absentee of something, a Great Clips, a McDonald's, a diesel barbershop, all great, great semi-absentee models. And sure, they're going to use some sick days and some vacation time as uh, they first get started in this business because uh, the business is in its infancy. They're micromanaging, they're managing uh, uh, managers, they're training managers, they're attending training. So sure, coming out of the gate, they're a lot more hands-on than normal. But once the business has kind of gotten on plane, if you will, gotten off the ground a little bit, they're very easily able to continue doing their 40, 50-hour-a-week corporate job and invest you know, 10 hours a week in the evenings, on the weekends, what have you, to basically oversee the very, very high elements of their semi-absentee model. Now, pros to a semi-absentee model is you tend to be managing a manager. 
So even though your business is going to have a lot of employees, a lot of that headache of managing a staff is actually going to fall on the shoulders of the manager you're managing. Now, I don't want to make it sound like managing a manager is a walk in the park, but you get a good manager in place and it can certainly relieve a lot of the burden of that. Um, again, the nice thing about a semi-absentee is it's the kind of business that's making money when you're not working. Uh, Warren Buffett says, if you can't find a way to make money while you're sleeping, you'll work until the day you die. I don't know if I believe that to that degree, but there's a lot of truth to it. As semi-absentee owners, they're not the only business owners that can achieve this, but unless you have a team, a system, an operation that's working underneath you, you're not making money while you're at home with your family, you're on vacation, <laughs> or you're sleeping. So a semi-absentee model is kind of that machine that's working for you and you're just kind of overseeing it. Uh, semi-absentee owners have that opportunity for uh, continued scalability, whether it's buying additional brands in, in other industries, whether it's buying additional locations and units in that same brand or that same industry, the scalability is there. Uh, the semi-absentee model, again, allows for the opportunity for somebody who is already gainfully employed, but just looking to diversify their income, secure their financial future a little bit, add a little padding to sending little Johnny off to college. We all have, uh, or at least many of us, have uh, had that issue keep us awake at nights. That's where a lot of these people go and invest in these semi-absentee models. Um, there's a wealth of great brands and great opportunities available in the owner-operator segment, the executive level segment, and of course, the semi-absentee segment. So asking yourself, where do I want to be in those segments? Um, <clears throat> what best suits my investment level, my threshold for uh, uh, managing a staff? And certainly, am I looking to be a serial entrepreneur? Am I currently a serial entrepreneur and looking to add to my portfolio? If we can nail these down, then again, out of those 3,800 franchise opportunities currently available in the United States, we've eliminated 50 to 75% of the potential options. Still a lot to look at, but hey, a few hundred versus 3,800 is a heck of a good start. That concludes today's podcast of Fran Talk. As always, I thank you for tuning in. Uh, hey, if you're serious about exploring franchises, I'd love the opportunity to work with you. I'm paid by the franchises that I represent, so my services are always free to you, the investor. I may have some great ideas for you. I may not. But one thing I can guarantee you, I will make you a smarter franchise investor. So please do reach out. Best way to reach me is via email and let's schedule a phone call. You can reach me at Mark, M-A-R-C, at successfranchiseadvisors.com. Again, that's Mark, M-A-R-C, at successfranchiseadvisors.com.